Afternoon, saints. We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 2 this afternoon. So open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 2. I've entitled this lesson, Our Great Salvation. And that's the message I want you to hear. How great is the salvation we have in this one that we worship. I'm going to be covering the first four verses, so I'll read that to get started. Hebrews 2, 1-4 through 4, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and every disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. I've divided this up into three sections based on how I'm going to explain this text. And the first point here is that humans are weak. This This warning that we find here begins with this transition word, therefore. Now, you may recall from chapter 1 what was being discussed there. It was a description of Jesus, the final word from God, and how he is greater than all the angels. Because no angel was described the way that he was. He's above them and he's beyond them. In light of this, This one who made purification for sins. In light of all of this, we are to consider what is being said here. Our world is awash in theological error. People have forgotten, if they ever knew, what the Bible says about Christ. And we at Community Baptist need to remind ourselves of the importance of sound theology. There's a lot of good practical teaching in the Scriptures, but if it is not anchored in sound theology, it will become an end unto itself. Thinking rightly is a theological work. It's not something that you just fall into. That's why we're told in Scripture to discipline ourselves for this, to strive for this, to throw off everything that entangles us and causes to slow us down and stumble. It takes diligence. I've used this analogy before. It's stuck in my head. The path of least resistance makes both men and rivers crooked. We cannot just go with the flow. If we want our path straight, we have to, as the Proverbs say, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. God is the one who has the path, who knows the way, and directs us in the straight way. Left to our own devices, if we forget what we have read, what we have heard, we will fall away. That's why this chapter opens this away, because... Revelation comes from God and through the final prophet. If we do not have that anchor, Jesus is the anchor that holds. If we have not that anchor, then we are, we are anchored on sand. We are standing on sand. We are sinking in sand. 
And there's but one rock we have to stand on. And without a proper theological understanding, we will be shallow and vulnerable. This verse goes on to say, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. What have they heard? These Jewish Christians that are being talked to in this letter, they've heard a lot of different things. As Kyle mentioned in his sermon this morning, that time of transition that Jesus was going through was problematic for the Jews to comprehend. And 30 years after His resurrection, there were Jews still clinging to the shadows, clinging to traditions handed down to them. And they had to be told, pay more earnest heed to the things you have heard. The bulk of chapter 1 contrasts Jesus with the angels and there's an implicit contrast between the Mosaic and the New Covenants when you talk about these mediators. These covenants and their mediators made different promises and they have different foundations. The message to the Jewish Christian audience is an urgent plea to pay close attention to the gospel message that culminated with the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We know from the gospel accounts that even those closest to Him didn't get it until after the event. We have the the benefit of the complete canon of Scripture and of lots of time to consider what happened in space and time when Jesus took our sins in His body and paid for our sin debt to ransom us back from that slave market to sin. These people that the author is writing to are being urged to cling to this gospel or else they, and the author says, lest we drift away. He's not putting himself above them and saying, y'all might drift away, I'm secure. He says, if we don't pay attention, if we don't encourage one another daily to pay attention to what this gospel message means, we might drift away. If we're not deliberate in our pursuit of holiness and obedience, we will drift away. We will be dragged off by our own sinful desires. Our feet will slip and we will fail. Many of us are old enough to remember the uh, Korean War and the ceasefire which established the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. This was a strip of land between North and South Korea where neither neither side was allowed to go. It was a no man's land. There was no bombing, no shooting. That was supposed to be the zone of peace that kept them from killing each other. We heard this morning how people that are angry with one another and hateful with one another, they want to kill. That's carnal man in his natural environment. There is no DMZ in the spiritual warfare in which we are all involved. You cannot sit back and say, I'm in South Korea. I don't have to worry about those demons in North Korea because there's a DMZ. We are engaged day by day in a spiritual warfare that assaults us whether we acknowledge it or not. And we have to pay careful attention to it. See, because of many people, many the, the prince of the air 
And the system of the world tells us, as an Old Testament prophet might have said, a false prophet might have said, peace, peace was there is, where there is no peace. That's the message from the world is you don't need to worry. You, you Christian bigots, you need to give that up. Don't you see how we're supposed to just all get along? Have a Coke and get along, the message was. Now it's approve every act of debauchery and just get along. Because if you can't accept that, then you must be a hate-mongering bigot. Many people believe that this is the truth and they get swept away by the current. They get washed downstream. The mass of humanity that welcomes them confirms in their own mind that they must be doing right. Drifting comes naturally. And we have to guard against it. We have to work against it. We sang this morning from Psalm 73, My flesh and my heart fails. But God, but God is my strength. He is the strength of my heart. And not only that, He is my portion forever. He is, he is my sustenance. He's my portion. Without Him, we don't have the ability to fight against evil and pursue godliness. The consistent message from all the Scripture is that human beings are weak and do not have the will to pursue what is good, and we tend to drift towards what is comfortable and convenient. And that is the clarion call of our culture. Any Western, Eastern culture that is middle class and above, you've got people that have got cars, they got air conditioning, you got restaurants, the people are being taught by their governments and by the people of the culture just to cherish convenience and comfort. Our flesh is weak. We need the tender mercies and the grace of God each day. These hymns that we sang this, this afternoon impressed that on us. How needy we are for Christ day by day. If anyone is not in Christ, there is no hope. But for all who are in Christ, hope abounds. One old hymn says, no, no strength of our own or goodness we claim. Yet since we have known the, the Savior's great name, in this strong tower for safety we hide. The Lord is our power. The Lord will provide. So humans are weak and we must have the Lord. Now, the next point is I want to bring out is that the author here tells us a little bit about the nature of the old covenant from which there is no escape. He says, if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? He's contrasting two things right there. Every Every law, every instruction in the Old Covenant was accompanied by curses and punishments for disobedience. And noncompliance brought consequences. And no man was able to satisfy all that God had said. No mortal man can do all that. How? And see, they, they got into this habit of neglecting what had been written. And as Kyle pointed out, they developed some traditions. And as we see in the Gospels, they created other traditions. And they made the Word of God no effect, non-effectual. 
of zero impact on their lives. If you are that neglectful in that covenant, what is your condition if you neglect the great salvation that is provided in this other covenant? This message declared by angels in uh, Galatians 3.19, Paul said, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was added, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. So the law given on Mount Sinai was given by God. Paul says that it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. When Stephen was preaching before he got stoned, the Jewish leaders who he's talking to said, you have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Both of these are references to the Mosaic Covenant given to the Hebrew people from Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, here's what they heard. Exodus 24, verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then built an altar and he made sacrifices there. And then in verses 6-8, through eight, Moses took half the blood and put it on the basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all of these words. Now, there you have it. They bound themselves to that covenant by their actions and their words. And it was a conditional covenant hinged on their obedience. As they prepared to cross into Canaan, they rehearsed the covenant, which had curses for disobedience. Deuteronomy 27, verses 9 and 10. Moses and the priest and the Levites spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. And he gave them a whole list of specific sins that were forbidden bringing curses on all who committed them. Children who dishonored their parents. Bad treatment. If you mislead a blind man, if you pervert justice, it goes on and on, spelling out all the things that reflect the character of God. Why does God say don't put a stumbling block in front of a blind man? The same reason that God says that you who have animals ought to take good care of them. The same God who says man made in my image, do not murder him. God is the creator of these things and he commands his highest creature to be like-minded. That's what all these rules were given to them for. They came with specific penalties. Later on in that chapter, verse 26 of Deuteronomy 27, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all of the words of this law by observing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. And chapter 28 rehearses blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. 
And we all know the track record of national Israel. Disobedience, disobedience, disobedience. Proving that you can be God's covenant people and you cannot conform to all the words of the covenant. Paul's talking to his Jewish brothers in Acts 13. He says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. See, when you listen to what Moses told them, through that man was preached, do this or die. Paul comes along. He's not like Moses. He says, through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You can't be justified by the law of Moses. That was not its intent. But through this man, forgiveness of sin Forgiveness of sin. And everyone who believes in Him is justified from all those things under the law that condemn you. So the point is this. If you neglect the salvation message found only by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, there is no escape from the judgment of Almighty God. How shall we escape all the judgments in the Old Covenant. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation which is provided by Jesus Christ through faith in Him? The law cannot save you. Your parents cannot save you. Your good deeds and good thoughts cannot save you. Community Baptists cannot save you. If anyone neglects the Gospel and depends on anything else for reconciliation to God, there will be only ruin and judgment and eternal torment. The salvation we have by the sacrifice of Christ is a great salvation described so as to contrast it with the heavy yoke of never being good enough under the law of Moses or any other law that you may choose to obey. It's said that the United States has so many laws on the books that on any given day, a cop can arrest anybody he wants to. And you and I are probably breaking more laws that we're unaware of because of that fact. So, just in a temporal sense, you walk around guilty all day long even though you don't know that you've broken a law. And when I was a kid, I don't know if they, do they still teach you guys this? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. You know, the law is there whether you know about it or not. If you break a law and a cop stops you and he says, hey, you know, I know this because I was on city council in Texas. Small towns can't write their own laws within their city. And so uh, speed limits in small cities in Texas are 35 miles an hour, even if they're not posted. And so if you go through a small town and you're going 40 miles an hour and a cop stops you, the speed limit's 35. You didn't know that. You're still speeding, mister. And you still get a ticket. Ignoring the law, painting over the law, rewriting it a little bit to make it more palatable doesn't satisfy the justice of God. It is such a great salvation because we are by nature so bound up in and fond of sin. If we don't, if we don't think of salvation with this 
superlative adjective attached to it, then it will become commonplace to us. And when we'll think of it in terms like Israel, they got salvation by God from the Egyptians. That's a different kind of salvation. Temporal salvation from circumstances is a good thing. But it's not the same as being given life and having that stony heart pulled out and a fleshly heart put in by the one who can do that. We tend to think that we're not so bad and it was no big deal to save you and me because we're pretty good guys. After all, I've never murdered anybody. I, I doubt that you have, Michael. I don't, I don't know that you have, Dell. You were in the Air Force. I wouldn't murder if you killed anybody. It was for God and country. You see, salvation is great because of the conditions required to procure it. See, Jesus said, I came to do the will of Him who sent me. I do everything to please the Father. You and I, our mind is so full of clouded thoughts, we can't go an hour, I bet you, only pleasing our Heavenly Father. Who of us has done every good thing we ought to do? If, there, if you know to do good and you do not do it, to you it is sin. I heard Adrian Rogers on a radio show one time being interviewed. He said, do you believe all the good things people say about you? And he said, whenever I'm prone to believe all the good things people say about me, I think about that one verse and I'm undone. Do you see how dire and hopeless we would be without the perfect obedience of Christ? If you consider the contrast between our performance of the demand of any law, do you see a glimpse of how great the salvation is you have in Christ? It's great because the Father, this, the Father is the Godhead, the Trinity, is not like us. The distance between God and man is greater than the distance between man and an amoeba. Sin against God is not just bad because you do something. Sin is so bad because against whom you sin. God is infinitely holy and infinitely pure. And that's why salvation has to be seen as such a great achievement. Because somebody as twisted and sinful as you and me has been made acceptable in his sight. The last couple of verses here. This great salvation, he says, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. That's all one big question. He's reminded the audience of the doom that awaits anyone out of the old covenant who trespasses it. And he draws our attention to consider the salvation that's found in the Lamb of God. This great salvation was first declared by the Lord. Back in Genesis 3.15, in speaking to the snake, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's the first speaking of God on the matter of the gospel. 
And we know because of what Paul wrote. Galatians 3.16, that this seed. Culminated. In the one called Messiah. And he said, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one and to your seed, who is Christ. And the whole of human history is a record of the serpent trying to kill the seed with God displaying his sovereignty and protecting his promise through the use of sinful people chosen by him for his purposes. All this study we've done in Genesis is the the big storyline of all of this is God made a promise and he will see to it that those people he formed the Israel nation God put together, they didn't exist until he formed them together. They would hold together despite their own rebellion until the promised seed came. They wouldn't recognize him when he saw him, when they saw him. But God chose him. Abraham is called the father of all who believe in Christ, not because any good was found in him. But because God reaches down and he uses this man in history and this man in history and he uses them as examples for us to look to. But in every one of them, like we heard about Joseph this morning, he's not the end in himself. The, the end is who does he prefigure? Who does it's like the whole whole Mosaic covenant. It's not an end to itself. It's who does it point to? Everything in Scripture is intended to draw our eyes to the Messiah. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 1 that God made foolish the wisdom of the world. The world can't accept the gospel message because it's foolishness to them. The gospel message, it was first Declared by the Lord and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. The author is what we might call a second generation Christian. He and his audience, he says, they heard about this great salvation from those who heard it from Christ. See, this is the pattern of Scripture. The gospel message is what is the same message declared by the Lord and passed on to us by those who heard him and were taught by those who heard him and wrote the message down in the scriptures and holy writ. See, men, it's like Paul told Timothy, find faithful men that you can teach these things to that can teach other men. It's been handed down and it continues to be handed down in the written form that these men left for us. To ignore the biblical gospel is to drift away into a fable of works righteousness or a false Jesus. And this goes on to say, God also bearing witness with both signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Now, the last phrase here kind of puts a damper on the whole charismatic movement. Because signs and wonders are not according to the will of man. They are according to God's will. Number two is that Signs and wonders accompanied Christ and the apostles to validate them as the chief cornerstone and the foundation stones of what he would call his body. Uh, 
I want to look at Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. Flip over to Romans 12. Romans 12, 4 through 8. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. See, God gives gifts to everyone he calls into himself. You do not need to think that you have been passed over in the giving of gifts. You don't need to take an exam to find out what spiritual gifts you've been given. If you've been given a gift, if you are in Christ, you have been given gifts. Now, what you have to do is learn to be obedient to God. And you will... The Spirit of God will will and equip you to do what is good and pleasing in His sight. And so whether it's ministering, whether it's giving, all these little things that Paul just wrote, those are gifts He gives to His saints. Think not that gifting must be accompanied by signs and wonders. See, We don't need to go around touching people to heal them to believe that God still heals. Whether He gives men the gift of healing... On occasion is another question that I'm not going to get into. You talk to people that have been in some far reaches of the world and they will tell you things that sober, sober minded men. I'm not going to get into that argument, but we must trust in God. The one who gave men the gift of healing back in the day, he can still heal. There was only one called the great physician. And so we plead with God to heal baby Eleanor. We have confidence that he can do this. He's the one who formed her in her mama's womb. And see, every time a child is born naturally, we think, wow, God did a marvelous thing there. Every time a person is born spiritually, that is the biggest miracle of all. And we ought not think lightly of it because it's a great salvation that has been given. The news from Mount Sinai was stern and it was forbidding. The people begged Moses to stand between them and God because they couldn't bear to hear God no more. They were terrified. The news from Mount Zion is gloriously good because Christ has gone in to the tabernacle through the veil and made payment, ransom, tribute for you and for me and for all who have faith in Him. He said, we know this because we take the Lord's Supper. He took the bread and He gave thanks and broke it and He gave it to them saying, this is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Likewise, He took also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in My blood which is shed for you. 
And see, when you take the Lord's Supper, we are reminding ourselves of what He did. He gave Himself for us. And we are protected from the ministry of death written and engraved on stones and made ministers of the new covenant, ministers of the new covenant written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, and not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Law written in stone, given to people with hearts of stone, could never purify their conscience. Only a heart of flesh can receive the law of God and be made new and serve Him with a willing devotion. Second Corinthians 3, starting in verse 4, says that we have such a trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being our, from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who has also made us. Paul is not talking just to elders here. He's talking to everybody who names the name of Christ. God has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If you live by the letter of the law, you will die. If you live by the Spirit of life, you will live. Romans 8. I think it is. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, our flesh is weak, it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is who we are. Do you claim to have Christ as your Lord? You should be walking according to the Spirit. This attitude we heard about this morning is not being judgmental towards people, being not not envious of people, not hard-hearted towards people. You're not led by the Spirit to be crass, crude, and harsh. You're led by the Spirit to be kind and gentle and not give offense unless the Gospel is at risk. God has delivered us from being slaves to sin to being new creatures in Christ. And He's made us ministers of the new covenant, heralds of His gospel, ambassadors of Christ, Paul would say. So, to finish up here, the record of Scripture is clear. Humans are weak, self-absorbed. The old covenant demanded perfection, which we cannot will or do, we are doomed because our sin demands God's justice. If that was the end of the story, we would be without hope. But Christ was sent to make a way of peace 
with holy God attainable for those who are called by his name. He surrendered himself to be killed at the hands of sinful men and taking our sin upon himself and putting his perfect righteousness on our accounts, making peace with the blood of his cross. The new covenant given to us by the Lord Jesus is nothing that we can boast of in ourselves, for we have nothing that was not given to us. Why do you... (laughs) That's not in my notes. I can't conjure up that verse. Why, Why do you... Why do you talk as if you have something that was not given to you? Hmm. Hmm. If you have something in your hand, it is not of your own doing. How arrogant of Paul to say that. Didn't you work hard all your life to get what you've got, Michael? Not your own doing. God does these things. We heard this morning, Romans 8.28 mentioned. Even the sin that you commit is used by God for your eternal good. If you are His child, all the circumstances you're going through for your own good, for His glory. He works that out. It's not happenstance. You have to wring your hands. Is is God going to do this? Doubting God never comforted any of His people. If we grasp the character of God, we will understand how heinous sin truly is. God is holy and awesome and pure and beautiful beyond what even the Apostle Paul could describe. And sin is grotesque and hideous and vile, worse than you and I can put words to. These contrasts help us Understand how great a salvation we have. This verse was read this morning by Michael, and I'm going to read it again. We then, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who know no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness righteousness of God in Him. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 20-21. By His great sacrifice for sinners, we have been reconciled to God and made ambassadors of Christ to proclaim His glorious gospel to every human being on the planet. And you know, the only thing that's keeping Christ from His second advent, if I can even say that, something could keep Him from doing what He wanted, is that not every... Chosen sheep has been brought back into the sheepfold of God. Not every spiritual stone has been harvested from the stone yard to be brought back and placed into the temple. When that's done, He's going to break open the sky and everybody's going to hear the trumpet. So, Peter in first Peter four. But the end of all things is at hand. First Peter four, starting in verse seven. The end of all things is at hand. The end is coming. Christ is going to return. What does Peter counsel to us? Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. Above all things, love have fervent love for one another. 
For love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The end of all things to hand. Should you be a prepper? Yeah. According to Peter, you don't need a zombie gun with 5,000 rounds of ammunition and a basement full of sea rats. What you need is to be watchful in your prayers. And to love one another fervently and to serve one another with whatever gift God has given you. What greater thing? See, the world will mock you. The world will ridicule you. People will look condescending at you and say, you must be some kind of a weak, sniveling imbecile to have to put your faith in a God nobody can see. Well, yeah, and so are you. Because without him, there is no hope. See, he will be pleased to use our feeble efforts to bring dead people to life if we're faithful to the message he's given us. There's another hymn to this, another verse to this uh, hymn that I alluded to earlier. And the author said, though troubles assail and dangers affright, though friends should all fail and foes all unite, yet one thing secures us, whatever betide. The scriptures assure us the Lord will provide. Let our confidence be in him because he has given us this great salvation. That is eternal life, eternal life, not if you can keep it, because the one who gave it to you keeps it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the surety that we have.